You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're in the book of Philippians, which is actually a letter from the Apostle Paul and uh, to a church in Philippi that he has great affection for. Last week, we looked at some of the ways that Paul warned the church that they might get distracted from Jesus. One was from bypassing him and trying to get to God through our own merit, through our own performance. Uh, the other, that's called legalism. The other one was to go the opposite direction and, and kind of live a licentious life, just doing whatever we want because we feel like we prayed a prayer and God's a bit of a pushover. And uh, Paul was saying we must be careful of both of those things and hold firm to that which we have obtained, which is Jesus and the life that he's won for us. So that was last week. Today we're going to carry on into the final chapter for what will be the penultimate, I think, message in this series. Yes, um, Tom's going to wrap it up for us next week. Uh, so we'll be at chapter 4. It's towards the back of your Bibles, um, the letter to the Philippians. Let's read together. It's on the screen as well. So, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So really that first verse is kind of the climax and summary of, of, of what he's just been talking about. So last week and chapter 3, because so he's saying, therefore, therefore let us stand firm in the Lord. Then he goes on, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Father God, we thank you that you're a God of peace. Thank you that this morning you are with us. It's so evident that you're with us this morning. The Beautiful words we sang this morning, so many of them are things that I'll be speaking about this morning. Thank you that you know what's going on. You're in control. Thank you for the grace that we stand in this morning that is available to us. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, we pray, speak to us this morning. I pray particularly for those who struggle with this issue we're talking about today. Would you soothe hearts? Come and minister to people. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our hearts. Pray, give us ears to hear. Give us soft hearts. Help me to speak freely, in Jesus' name, amen. We just encourage you, so like I did last week, just pray a little prayer yourself. Just say, Lord, speak to me today. There are a few things we could have focused from, from this passage today. Throughout the letter, Paul repeats himself in a few areas. He goes round and round in circles because he really is laboring some important things. He wants them to understand. It's probably quite a typical thing that preachers do, I suppose. We could have hit a number of themes, humility, holding firm to Jesus, looking to good examples, the coming kingdom. But today I want to speak about anxiety and peace. 
I'll use the same. I'll use the words anxiety, worry, fear interchangeably because they're in the same bracket, really, if not synonymous. So on Thursday of this week, the people of Great Britain voted about whether we should leave the EU or not. 52.1% of the nation decided that the best course of action is to leave. Whether your political persuasion uh, was one way or the other, we can know for certain that the nation has come into a little bit of a time of uncertainty. And uncertainty can fuel anxiety. So therefore, today's message couldn't have come at a better time, really. But the reality of anxiety is that it's not lived out and played out on a national stage, but in our personal hearts, in our minds. And therefore, this morning, we're going to look more about how we can personally avoid being gripped by anxiety. Paul says here that we should not be anxious about anything. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't worry. Okay, end of the sermon. (laughs) It's not that simple, though, is it? It's really not that easy. Lots of us would love to stop worrying would love to stop being anxious, but we struggle with it. So we're going to start talking about what is worry? What is it? Is it healthy to worry? Is there such thing as healthy worry and non-healthy worry? What's the difference? Isn't it irresponsible to not worry? Well, clearly if Jesus has commanded that we don't, then it isn't a good thing to do, and we need to take it seriously. Some of you may know full well that you struggle with anxiety. Some of you may think, I don't at all, and some of you might be in the middle. But I think if we look at the definitions and talk around it and search our hearts honestly, we'll all come to the conclusion that we need to be fighting anxiety pur- purposefully. We can't just take it as, oh, I'm, I'm laid back, I'm not bothered about it. There are a few things that would be good to clarify anxiety is not. Anxiety is not being responsible Jesus was responsible. Anxiety is not healthy concern. Jesus was often concerned. Anxiety is not preparing for things or planning things. We are called to prepare things and plan things humbly, submitting to Jesus. Anxiety is not mourning. If you're in mourning and you're in pain because of a a lost relationship or a lost loved one, that is not the same as worry and anxiety. Suffering. Jesus suffered. It's not wrong to suffer. That's not the same. Compassion. Jesus was compassionate. Being compassionate doesn't mean you're an anxious worrier. Lamenting. Jesus lamented over Jerusalem, it says in the Bible. He was sorrowful about its condition. You might lament this week about what's happened. I don't know what your persuasion is. But lamenting is maybe being in anguish, being in pain about it, but bringing it to God. Those things are not the same as living with anxiety. In fact, these are all good things, actually, that I've just said. God-given things. To be indifferent would not be right. To be just callous, to be cynical, to be hard-hearted, to be uncaring, they're certainly not the answer to anxiety, are they? If we just say, well, I don't get anxious because I don't really care. That's not what God's heart is for us. The words of Jesus that he used can be, for worry can be translated literally as uh, split in two minds, distracted or divided in mind. And that's quite, a, that, that's quite vivid, isn't it? When you think when you get anxious, you can't stop thinking about something. You, you probably should be doing something else, but you can't stop thinking. Your mind is divided. That's pretty helpful for us. If you think about it, it's exactly like that. You get sidetracked. 
But at a deep heart level, if you have one foot in the kingdom of God, as we've been reading about last week, and Paul says, keep your minds on the things of the kingdom of heaven. If you've got one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of this world, um, then you're going to be divided there at the heart level. You're going to be split. You're going to be leaving yourself open to anxiety and worry. If you place your confidence in something of the kingdom of this world, well, this world is uncertain, isn't it? So you're going to find yourself in an uncertain, unstable place. Another helpful definition is over-concerned. To be overly concerned about things is an obvious way that would mean losing sleep. Oh, sorry, obvious ways that we could think of would mean losing sleep over something, constantly coming back and dwelling on the worst possible outcomes to things, general anxiety disorder, phobias, panic attacks, acute stress disorder, OCD, post-traumatic stress disorder, Those are obvious outworkings of anxiety that we might know, but there are more subtle ways of being anxious, just where we might change our behavior a little bit due to worry. You may avoid conversations because you don't like the thought of the way you might come across in that conversation. You're worried about it. And so you may avoid certain areas of life because anxiety has actually got a grip on you, and that's a more subtle way. So really, all of us have probably got some experience with worry even recently. And statistically speaking, even though we live in probably the safest time of of history in terms of having our essential needs provided for us very easily, anxiety is something of an epidemic. People are really struggling with worry and fear and anxiety. It's close to our hearts and close to our minds. So what would this 2,000-year-old book have to do with this? How can it really help us? Has it got anything to say? Well, yes, actually, right from Genesis through to Revelation at the end of the Bible, there are lots of things the Bible says about anxiety, fear, worry. It just so happens that uh, today it came up in our passage, which is, which is helpful. It's, I know people that struggle with worry, and we want to come to Jesus with it. You may be asking, is it sinful to worry then? Is it a lack of faith? You may even be thinking, thanks a lot, Tim. Do I need to worry about worrying now? Well, Jesus says, do not worry. So yes, it is a disobedient thing to worry. But he doesn't say, are you worrying? Got a whip ready. You better not. Are you worrying? You know, he says compassionately, do not worry, little flock, he says in Luke 12, 32. He calls himself the, the good shepherd. He takes ownership. He comes alongside. He, he loves and cares for us. He cleanses and forgives and gives us power to change. He's not a master that will cause us to worry more about worrying. He wants to be a deliverer. He wants to be a loving and kind, compassionate friend to us. He says, it's not what I've got for you, worry. There are good reasons not to worry. I am yours. You are mine, as we've been singing. So what about fear? Last week I said we must fear. Well, yes, we must fear God. We must bow down to God. And as we'll look in a minute, fear of God replaces other fears. It's a healthy thing. If we fear anything else, it's making it a God. It's bowing down to it. I'm not talking about wisdom here. If you're walking down the road with your toddler and the traffic is busy and you stand between them and the the traffic to make sure they're safe, you're not sinning, you're being wise. I'm not talking about that sort of fear. You know, you're fearing that they could get hurt. That's, that's just wisdom in that case. In fact, you're kind of fearing God because he's given you that responsibility to look after your children. 
But we can be ruled by what we value too highly. We can be ruled by it. We can come under the authority of things that we, we value too highly. Common things that we tend to worry about, jobs, our spouse or marriage, our reputation, our children, our moral record, as I said last week, legalism. We can worry, oh, my performance isn't good enough, and I'm, I'm relying on it, so now I'm worried. Whatever we tend to overlove, we tend to worry about. If we make the blessing more important than the giver of the blessing, we will become anxious and will probably even end up doing harm to that blessing. Do you get that? If we make the blessing more important than the giver of the blessing, we will become anxious and will probably even end up doing harm to that blessing. C.S. Lewis said this, A real Christian lets his eyes run up the sunbeam to the sun. In other words, we enjoy a blessing for what it is, a signpost to the blesser. Isn't that fantastic? We enjoy the blessings that God gives us, but they should make us look to him, the blesser, that we enjoy him. We don't get caught up in, that is what I hold on to, the blessing. No, it should point to Jesus. Worry, therefore, can actually give us an opportunity. Well, if we have worry, then we can ask ourselves, what is it that I'm putting my weight on? What is it that I'm trusting in? can give us an opportunity to do some soul searching, a bit like David in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, know my ways, know if there's anything about me that isn't right. Help me, deliver me, make me more like yourself. We can use worry, actually, as an opportunity. Today, I'd really encourage you, don't just sit there thinking, this is quite interesting, or thinking, I wish so-and-so was here. Think, I'm going to search myself today. I'm going to see if there's any way in me that God would like to bring to the surface. How we respond to that question, what am I prizing above God? Is there anything in me? What am I putting my confidence in other than God? How we respond to that question is vital. And it's how we can walk free from worry. It's how we can walk out of worry. We can say, what am I prizing above God? There's a story, a true story of a pastor who was meeting with somebody who said they were terrified of flying. And they talked about it and they, 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 they discussed and the obvious thing would be, well, you're scared of flying because you have a fear of death. And he said, no, it's not that, because I'm, I'm confident of where I'm going. I'm a Christian. I'm confident that I will be going to be with the Lord if I die. So they talked about it more, and they came, he came to the realization, I'm terrified that if we did go down, I would scream and lose my call and look like an idiot in front of everyone. That's what I'm worried about. So actually, he, had a, a, he, he was holding on to reputation, his anxiety came out of, I've got a lot of weight on reputation. And if I lose that, it terrifies me. So you see how anxiety can come out of holding on too much to something that isn't God. The Bible doesn't say we have no reason to worry. Okay? It doesn't say don't worry. It doesn't make any sense. It says actually when Jesus commands us not to worry in Matthew 6, he gives us a list of things that we could worry about. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. Some people might be sitting there thinking, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> what you will put on. Later on he says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. So he's talked about a list of things. You could be worried about life, health, sustenance, provision, warmth, the future. The Bible does not ignore that there are reasons to worry. Worries can come from the past, the present, or the future. Let's talk about finances just as an example. 
You may have grown up in a household, say, say you were a bit anxious about finances, a bit worried about money. It might be because in your past you, you grew up in a household where finance was very tight, very tight. And you were just in an anxious household. Or maybe in your household growing up, the, the only indicator of true success or security was how wealthy you could be. Or maybe you had a past investment that went terribly and you've got anxious about finance through that. It could be present. Maybe at the moment you're worrying about finance because you're currently in debt or received a bill that you haven't budgeted for. Or it could be future. Will I have enough for my children's university? Or will I have enough for my retirement? So we can worry past, present, or future. And Jesus has answers for all of those. Our past has been dealt with at the cross. Our present, his promises to be with us. Our future is with him in glory. He's got promises for all of those. But I'm going to come on to that more in a minute. So just ask yourself, hopefully you are asking yourself, do I worry about things? Where do, what, what do I tend to worry about? Where do I think it might come from? So we'll move on to what the cure is. What do you think the cure is? What is the antidote to worry and, and anxiety? Well, this is a fantastic book. I would really recommend it to anybody who does struggle with worry and anxiety. It's by a guy called Tim Lane, who is a, a biblical counsellor. It's not very long. It's very helpful. It's called Living Without Worry, How to Replace Anxiety with Peace. And he helpfully sums up, right relating to God, should be on the, on the screen, based upon right thinking about God, will lead to right living before God. Right relating to God, based upon right thinking about God, will lead to right living before God. I've met with people and, and chatted with people who, who said, I've, I struggle with anxiety, or I struggle with depression, or I struggle with worry, and I, I'm praying that God will take it. I'm praying that God will sort it out. That's a, that's a good prayer to pray, but I'm just going to look at two stories in the Gospels with you quickly. Two storms. Let's look at them, on they're on the screen. One is Matthew 8. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. So can God come into your situation and just wipe it away? Yes, he can. He can stand up in a boat, say to the waves and the wind, stop, and it will stop. He could say to your anxiety, stop, and it will stop. He could say to your depression, stop. He could say to your cancer, go. He can do that because he's God. But even in that, we look at them, and what's their response? Not, oh, great, the water's better now, let's go to sleep. Or the water's lovely, now let's all jump and have a swim. No, they look at him and they say, what kind of man is this? Their fear of the water and the waves has turned into fear of God. That's the antidote to anxiety. You're fearing other things, turn it to fear of God. They realized, oh, he has come and he has changed everything. He's got authority that I've never understood. So yes, Jesus can come in. He can change things. But he really wants our heart to be changed from fearing things to fearing him. Resting on things to resting on him. Let's look at Matthew 14, 22. It's the famous story here. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side 
While he dismissed the crowds, and after, sorry, while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, so stormy again. For the wind was against them. And in that fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it's I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, saying, Lord, if it's you... Command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Okay, so he said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. We've just been singing about that. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus admittedly reached, uh, sorry, immediately reached out his hand. And took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Same result. <laughs> Jesus does something amazing, they worship him. But there's a difference in this story. It's, it's beautiful that both stories, we think about the storms of life, the circumstances that we're in that produce the anxiety in us. Jesus is with them. He's with them in the boat. The second time, he comes to them in the boat. That's beautiful. That's for us. He's with us. He comes to us. The second time, Peter's got a bit more used to Jesus. He's seen him already calm the waves and, and stop the wind. He's growing in faith. He's grown in understanding of who this God is. He starts to say, maybe I could, can, can I come out to you? Jesus says, Come. Peter says, gets his foot, gets out, stands on water, puts one leg, probably put most of his weight on his back leg still. And then he takes the plunge, I'm going to go for it, and steps on the water. He puts his weight fully on it. This is the difference. Jesus, in one of them, just calms and sorts it. The second one, he says, come, stand on the waves. Come and be with me. Peter has grown in faith, and something that would have caused him great anxiety before, now he's saying, I've got authority over this. I can stand over this. Jesus is there. I can look at Jesus. He's with me. So God does sort stuff out for us while we wait passively. He can do. But even then, it's a signpost to his holiness, to his faithfulness, and results in us worshipping, not in us being passive, just being caught up in the blessing, but being caught up in the blesser. More often, I think, more often, Jesus comes to us and says to us, Come. Prove my faithfulness. If you struggle with anxiety, come, come and, come and trust in me. Lean on me. Remember Tom said a few weeks ago, a good definition of faith, leaning on Jesus, putting your weight on him. Believe on me. Get up, get your eyes on me, and walk on the waves. Put your weight on me and my promises. It was when Peter took his eyes off Jesus again that he started to sink. And Jesus was able to save him. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we can start to sink in our surroundings. We suddenly look, oh, no, actually my finances aren't good. Oh, my kids aren't doing well. Oh, sink. Jesus says, keep focused on me. I'll pull you up. They were amazed at him. He's too kind to give you what you ask for when it means bypassing him. The blessing is not the pearl of great price. 
that you sell everything for. Not the, the blessing is not the pearl. He is the pearl of great price. Not the blessing. You don't go after what you can get from him. You go after him. That's how he wants it because he knows that's the best for you. It would be mean of him to just give you stuff to satisfy you if it meant you didn't ever get to see him or know him. Even when he calmed the storm, it was a sign to himself. They didn't just say, oh, the water looks nice now. They said, who is this amazing God? So 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Remember the definition we just heard from Tim Lane? He said, right relating to God, based upon right thinking about God, will lead to right living before God. Okay, so cast your anxieties on him, right thinking about God, for he cares for you. That's how we think about him. He cares for us. He's not indifferent. He cares. He's not distant. He cares. He's involved. He knows. Cast your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. This is the right thinking about God, having our minds set on heavenly things. It's not just to have our heads in the clouds. We're not just saying, have your minds on heavenly things. Oh, just up in the clouds. People might think that about Christians. It's not what we believe at all. The world, actually, other religions and philosophies suggest meditation by emptying your mind. Just get everything out. Mm. Get it out. Christian um, meditation is the opposite. Get truth in. We fill our minds with heavenly things, with truth from heaven, with promises from God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call on the good shepherd and we get out of the boat and we walk with him. So here's some truths that we, for example, that we stand on. If I'm anxious about being vulnerable and in an unfamiliar setting, I can remember Isaiah 41. For I fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. When I'm anxious about being too weak to achieve something, I can fight with my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. 2 Corinthians. When I worry about decisions I have to make in the future, I can battle unbelief with this. I will instruct you and teach you in which way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 32. When I'm anxious about coming up against opposition, I can fight with, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8. When I'm anxious about the welfare of loved ones, I remember that if I, being evil, know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more will the Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Matthew 7. When I'm anxious about being sick, I battle with the promise, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all in the Psalms. When I'm anxious about dying, I remember Philippians 2. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When I'm anxious that I won't last a distance with God, I battle with Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. We can very easily just think, I can't be bothered with someone telling me verses right now. Because we think that they are just nice ideas. If we start to stand on them, put our weight on them and say, I'm going to go forward because of this promise. You know that man I was telling you about on the aeroplane? Apparently after they discovered this and they started working on uh, the truths, he, he was able to get on planes with not too much problem. Each time he said he still would have to say, you know, just before getting on the promises to himself. He would have to walk this. He would have to say, Jesus, I'm standing on you. I know that 
uh, my reputation with you is what counts. I know that before God, you, uh, you are perfect for me. And I know what other people think is not as important as what you think of me. We stand on promises. It's no coincidence that both Paul and Jesus precede these exhortations to not worry by talking about where our hearts and minds are. Remember Paul last week said not to have our, our, our hearts on earthly things. Jesus has just been telling his disciples the same thing before he says don't worry. He says don't lay up treasures on earth. Seek first the kingdom and the rest will be added to you. If we live for secondary things, worldly things, we'll be split in our minds and we'll be given over to worry, anxiety and fear. But remember Paul, I said last week, he could sit in prison awaiting probable possible execution and sing praises to God with peace. This isn't just words. This is people who actually do it, actually did it. We can actually do it. He sang with peace, praises to God, even in prison. John Piper says, anxiety is like getting mud on your car windscreen. And you can't see and you might swerve a bit, and you might want to pull over and almost feel paralyzed. I can't go anywhere. I can't see. I'm just taken over with this. Supposed to be doing one thing, can see this. It's like the anxiety we said, split-minded. He said, these verses are like the windscreen wipers. We use them. It is written, like Jesus did. It says this in the Bible. This is the truth. If God is for me, who can be against me? We wipe it off the windscreen. And he says, the windscreen washer fluid is the Holy Spirit. You ask, Holy Spirit, come and help. Break up these lies. Break up this anxiety. Help me to believe the words of God. Help me to stand on the words of God. We know that we will suffer. It's not worrying. Sorry, by not worrying, we cast our burdens on Jesus and even ask God, God, what are you doing in this? Once we've got past this anxiety gripping us, we can see anxiety for what it is, or see struggling and suffering for what it is, and we can actually say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? Why am I in this predicament? How are you trying to help me grow? Because God's always working on us. He's trying to bring things to the surface that are ugly, because he says, I want you to be like my son. That's not like my son. Let's bring that to the surface. Let's wipe it away. When we go through trials and suffering, he's often doing that. So we can say, God, what part of me do you want to work on? Not just, God, this isn't fair. Why am I going through this? And, and anxiety and worry and, 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 and fear. No, we can say, God, what are you doing? I trust that you're with me. What are you doing? The Bible's full of people who encounter suffering. In the Psalms in particular, we hear suffering brought to God, wrestled with God, and resulting in grace, often, over and again. It's real. It can be a gift from God. We need to be able to ask God, what are you teaching me? He's always working in us. There's a lovely, there's a lovely quote in here I want to read to you from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, That is why we must not be surprised if we are in for a rough time. When a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well, in the sense that some of his bad habits are now corrected, he often feels that it would now be natural if things went fairly smoothly. When troubles come along, illness, money troubles, new kinds of temptations, he's disappointed. These things, he feels, might have been necessary to rouse him and make him repentant in his bad old days, but why now? Because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level, putting him into situations where he will have to be very much braver 
or more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. It seems to us all unnecessary, but that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing he, is, he means to make of us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what God is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks and the roof and so on. And you knew those jobs needed to be done, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra roof there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be a pretty decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. Isn't that beautiful? He is working on us all the time. And Tim Lane goes on to say here, Yes, suffering will come. No, suffering will not last forever, because in eternity I will be in glory. And this suffering is all being used for my good, to make me more like Jesus, and to make me more able to be of use to those around me. Think how differently we would look, sorry, think how differently we would think if when a loved one suffered, we did not worry, but resolved to show godly concern. So we wouldn't lie awake filled with anxiety, but instead independent prayer that God would bring our loved one to repentance or grow them in grace. Suffering will happen, and it is meant to drive you to God, not to worry. You can trust him with your past, future, and present, and be useful to others in the midst of it all. I remember when, I, when we still lived in, um, in Cape Town, and, and my son was about two and a half or something like that, and I was up uh, in, in, with him in uh, someone else's house, actually, but trying to settle him for bed. And I used to say to him quite often, just I think it's good for parents, really, to, to, to train their children and say, trust, trust me, trust Daddy, trust me. Because really it's a, an attitude of trust that will help him to obey. And this time I was just patting him, he was on my chest, and he just pushed his hands up, looked up at me in the eyes and just said, trust Daddy, came from nowhere. And it suddenly hit me, it was God speaking to me, it was really powerful. And I, just, I was going through quite a tough time and it was, God was just saying, you need to trust me, trust Daddy. I'm your father. I care for you. Trust me. You've got to let go of some of the things that you're holding on to that aren't what I've got for you. Trust daddy. I feel like God would say that to some of us today. There's some things you're anxious about holding on to. You've got to trust that I'm sovereign. I'm in control. You've got to trust that I'm your father, that I'm compassionate. I know what's going on with you. God is really on your case. I'm working in you to see you grow. I want to encourage us that the church, we need to be the tangible love of God to each other, don't we? We need to be the tangible love of God in community. We need to help people who struggle with anxiety or pain or suffering. We need to love them tangibly. We need to share our anxieties quite vulnerably, be genuinely listened to without, giving, without being given stock answers or, or awkwardness. We need to be listened to. Genuine community is one where we can be honest about our struggles and still feel safe. We need to keep growing that community together. So when somebody asks or shares with you, it's great to ask, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? And how can I walk with you out of this? Those are some great questions. How can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I walk with you out of this? 
Father God, we thank you so much that your grace is sufficient for us. Thank you that you want to walk with us and care for us. Thank you you want to know what every person in here is facing. And you do know what every person here is facing. We ask you by your spirit to give us help when we exercise our faith. Our faith in the promises you have given to us. Our faith in who you are. To see victory over worry and fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.